Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast. This is a weekly conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded in Latin America. Here, we deconstruct their past experiences in the Latin American region and formulate best practices for other leaders to follow. We do this in the interest of solving one of Latin America's most pressing needs, closing the life science innovation gap between the U.S., Europe, and patients in Latin America who need faster and easier access to innovative and breakthrough medical technologies. Today, our guest is Steve Garkov. And Steve is, a, is an accomplished life science business executive with a proven track record in helping companies formulate strategy. Steve is also the president of Foresight Business Consulting, a Chicago-based marketing firm. Steve is obsessed with making a difference in the way companies commercialize medical products. He also believes that any company can significantly improve performance through marketing. Steve helps clients by serving as a clarifying lens for marketing performance. Steve has been Vice President Global Marketing for Baxter Healthcare, Chief Operating Officer for Avocet Polymer Technologies, and Vice President Sales and Marketing for Analogics, Inc. Steve is also the author of the best-selling book, Stratification, How Strategic Decision Processes Will Create Sustainable Competitive Advantages. Steve earned a master's in hospital and health services administration degree from the Ohio State University, an ambassador of science degree with honors in medical technology from Michigan State University. Steve and his wife, Marie, have three children and reside in Libertyville, Illinois. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having you here. Thank you very much, Julio. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Excellent, Steve. It's uh, it's really an honor. I mean, after going through your background, I, I, I am very pleased to have you on the show today. I'm sure listeners will uh, learn a lot from past experiences in Latin America. So, Steve, um, could you please briefly tell us about your journey to Latin America? How do you get involved with the region? Sure. Well, um, I've always been involved with global marketing groups uh, in the companies that I've worked for. Now, I'm going back, but in the 80s, uh, our division at Baxter was the first one to go global. And naturally, we were initially most focused on Europe and North America and Japan. Uh, This was because they were large markets and we had direct sales and marketing organizations there. However, Latin America also received focus because there was uh, structural and economic reasons that our products, now these are renal products, you know, products that are set up to take care of uh, patients who need dialysis. So there were structural problems that um, prompted um, our products being right for certain countries. So for the, fo- for the most part, we focused on Latin American countries where we already had a direct sales force and marketing organization. And let me explain briefly by structural. Um, our company was, um, uh, we were promoting a, a form of dialysis called peritoneal dialysis. Now, the most common form of dialysis is hemodialysis. And in order for hemodialysis to happen, you need to have um, a, a physical building uh, and you need to put in water. You need to have machines and things like that. So 
when I say structural, uh, a lot of Latin American uh, countries had difficulty finding the resources to build these large structures to handle uh, hemodialysis patients. Our, our peritoneal dialysis products, which was our focus, uh, was a home-based therapy. So you didn't need to worry about building new new kinds of things. So when you look at uh, at Latin America at the time, uh, the the fact that these not having the the structures to do hemodialysis made our products perfect for uh, many Latin American com- countries. So it's not like there was a some sort of structural issue with the country. It's just the way that our, the therapies were delivered. That, that's what I mean by structure. So we didn't deal uh, much directly with the customers. Uh, but what we did do is we were responsible for making sure that the company personnel uh, were trained on either business uh, uh, activity or on the clinical side of things. So that was my role uh, at that time. Fantastic. And um, were you dealing with regulatory approvals in country or how did it work? Yeah, our, our, um, our organization certainly did. But since I was on the marketing side of things, uh, it was really uh, our regulatory groups that were responsible. And the way that it was structured was obviously our regulatory group had already pulled together the 510K. And each of the countries that we participated with in Latin America had their own regulatory affairs group. Now, I'm probably being very generous when I say group. <laughs> it was probably almost always one person, you know. Uh, so what would happen is there would be dialogue between the U.S. Uh, or the global regulatory group and then the local country um regulatory affairs manager to make sure that the the product got approved. And really, at that point in time, the 510K carried so much weight that I don't recall that there was a terrible lot of uh, additional information we needed to provide in order to get approval in any given Latin American country. Yeah, in most countries, uh, as long as you have FDA approval, you should be good to go. And uh, the, the approval should be pretty straightforward. I also see mark approval. So um, I kind of gather from your answer, Steve, that you were company facilitating directly uh, in in every country. I mean, he had a direct sales force, or was it dealing with through distributors? Well, um, for for the most part, for for the renal products, we almost always we, we stayed out of a country where we didn't have direct sales force. Now. Later on, what would happen is when I moved to a different division uh, that was probably not as globally organized, we would uh, deal with distributors uh, in in some of those countries, especially in some of the smaller Latin American countries. I mean, you know, places like uh, uh, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, we, we always had um, direct representation, but some of the smaller countries, um, we we did not. And so we were responsible for, for dealing with distributors. Now, I never had a role in picking distributors. And the reason for that is that uh, while we were the global group for, um, for the business, in order to manage the Latin America um, uh, region, we had a separate Latin American uh, organization. They were based in Miami. 
but basically what the, what they were responsible for was a lot of the business aspects. In fact, the country managers and all of the um, people who, who worked directly at that organization did not report to the global um, business unit. They reported to the Latin American group. So we were never involved in setting up distributors. We were actually never in, even involved in, in hiring um, staff within the Latin American countries. Our responsibility was making sure that the people who are responsible for our therapeutic area were knowledgeable and capable of selling it to the customer base. Did you have to do any special tweaking in your marketing strategy in Latin America? Well, um, the, the way things worked in, in, our, uh, in our organization is that the global group was uh, responsible for developing what I would call a global marketing plan. Now, this would lay out the features and the benefits uh, that were important to sell. It we would make connections with the thought leaders and the scientists who, who would be willing to go to Latin America and, and um, talk about things with the customer base. Or like Proctor's. Yep. And then we were also responsible for developing the sales and marketing collateral for the sales training materials, for the clinician training materials. And, and in general, we, we only gave like general parameters for pricing. And now the local companies who we would then work with, they would be responsible for all of the field activity. Uh, they would be responsible for translating the, cl the collateral uh, into the... Um, the local language, and they, we relied on them to make sure that a lot of the imagery um, and things like that were were culturally sensitive. Because what obviously, if we're sitting in Chicago, we 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 don't know if we're stepping uh, into some sort of cultural insensitivity. So we would rely on the local groups to do that. And then the other thing that we did was we tried to be flexible on pricing because obviously the price of our products in the U.S. would be different than the price of our, our products in Mexico or wherever. And, and so what we tried to do, we tried to be smart about this. Um, so let me give you an example. Okay, one of our products was actually a drug product called um, dialysate, peritoneal dialysate. So it's the, it's the key product that um, pulls the toxins out of a kidney patient's body to, to keep them healthy. So what happened was we, we always, we would, we had a, every country had a base price for this standard dialysate. And what would happen is that if we came out with a new kind of dialysate, something that's new and improved, what we would do is we would price it as a global group as a percentage of what each country's base product is. So we would say, oh, if you're going to come out with this amino acid solution, uh, we we recommend, and we never forced, we, we recommended that they price it, each bag, 20% higher than their base product bag. So, so that way, then, what happens is we're not forcing them to charge a U.S. price in Mexico, uh, you know, be, you know, uh, and and um, and that that then allowed them to be um, price competitive within their market. Now, what I what I will say is, we had enough margin to be able to do that. Now, sometimes, you know, especially when you're talking about instruments, you've got a high standard cost that you have to deal with. And, and just taking that approach 
might not actually be successful because you still might be pricing it at a um, at an unprofitable rate if you just take that, that 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 approach that we did. But like I said, where we could, that's that is what we tried to do is to give the individual country pricing flexibility. Now, in order to do that, you really have to be able to trust your country people that they're good business people and and, and all that. And in in our you know in in our case, we we had uh, quite a bit of trust in our folks and okay do you, do you have any specific uh, instances where demand generation was a was an issue in in Latin America i mean there was not enough demand for your products i'm sorry demand demand generation do you have a specific instance or a specific uh, case where you remember that demand generation was an issue i mean there was no demand for your product for patients or from uh, end users in general I, I wouldn't say no demand, but uh, when I was dealing with one of the other divisions I worked with was the um, infusion pump business, and and the the challenge there was uh, originally what would happen is is that we would just try and take our high end pump and and you know as we got refurbs we would send them down to Latin America and then we would sell them at a discount. Um, in uh, that worked okay for some of the higher end customers you know the the hospitals in 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 Latin America that have the resources to be able to afford that so our demand problem really was in the area of the low cost pumps because in many countries and just to give you an example like our high end pump was probably costing $3500 US um that was the US price And uh, um, the, the the market, especially for what we would consider the low end, we're talking probably $1,200 or $1,300 U.S. So obviously, um, in this particular case, I, I'm sorry, I don't really remember our standard cost, but at a minimum, $1,200 to $1,500 would be really close to our standard cost, and nobody could really make any money. So, so the the challenge was was trying to identify uh, a product that met Baxter's quality standards uh, that we could sell at that price point. So our our demand issue was finding uh, a, a a low cost pump that could meet customer needs. And when, quite honestly, we we never actually developed one in house. We we took some attempts to try and do it. Uh, but we ended up having to try and find a local manufacturer and help them bring up their their quality standards to what our standards were. So now, now, now get, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Latin America company had poor quality standards. But what I'm saying is that when you're a big multinational and you've set probably higher quality standards, your bar is raised because you've got to deal with so many different uh, groups and, and you've got the FDA breathing down your back. So all I, I'm, what I'm saying is, is they, they didn't meet our company's quality standards. And what we had to do was to negotiate what we thought would be um, acceptable for every country. Yes. And acceptable within our global quality organization. And what about reimbursement? How was who was paying for your product? <clears throat> well, um, the the hospitals would pay for the product, and and quite honestly, I can't actually talk a lot about 
how that worked because that would have been a local country decision we, we we were more of the upfront sales and marketing folks where we'd you know give them the the clinical principles and the business principles and then they were that when when i said i think i said earlier that they they were responsible for all field activity so they would be the ones who would be uh negotiating with the uh hospital administrators or or if it's a if it's an um government um uh payer they would be the ones that would be negotiating with them and 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 this question is important uh steve because uh, every country in latin america has its own healthcare system for example in mexico you have five different healthcare systems <clears throat> so it's really difficult to uh to navigate the waters of every system whereas in colombia or argentina you have one single payer uh, which is the universal healthcare system that is is, is uh, organized by the government, so it's it's a lot simpler to to penetrate. And quite honestly, that's why I think what we were doing was the right thing. We we if you're a global group, you can't possibly understand all the nuances of of all these different or, um, countries. So we rely on the local. Um, marketing and sales organization to be able to, to, to do that. Now we, we might, I, and I, I can't actually recall an instance where we did this, but I know we would have that if, if an organization was having trouble uh, um, connecting with the, the right people in, in a local country, we might send someone down who has experience dealing with other uh, regulatory people or other, you know, government payers and, and try and help them through that. But, but we, we would never kind of try and take that over and, and require a country to follow any particular model that we developed because, you know, we, we always, our philosophy was think globally, but act locally, and that's kind of uh, that. Uh, that's my mantra today: uh, is that uh, you have to uh, push decision making as close to the customer as you can, and a global organization just can't do that. Absolutely, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Steve, an another question that I have is in terms of the market access plan for every country. Was there a market access plan or a, or a, or a business plan for every country? Or, well, I mean, in other words, was a very proactive approach that the company had in Latin America, or it was a reactionary approach? Well, um, we did a proactive approach, and um, we plan we planned entry into Latin American countries. Uh, and uh, there's actually a kind of a two prong plan. Okay, so our global group uh, was responsible for creating this global marketing plan. I think I mentioned that earlier. Uh, now this would lay out uh, all of all of these things, but the the um, the Latin American group was actually the group that was responsible for putting together um, uh, annual plans. Uh, so so the way the setup would work. Now I, I spent time in. Um, Australia. I was actually a uh, business unit manager for Renal in Australia, and uh, surprisingly, or or maybe not surprisingly, Australia reported into the Latin America <laughs> Global Group. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. But so so the way the way it would work is me as the the business unit manager for Renal in Australia. It was my responsibility to pull together 
what our sales goals would be, what our expenses would be, you know, just putting together a full um, um, business plan for my unit. Now, I would roll that up to my country manager, and then the country manager would then take uh, my my plan together with the plan from all the other business units. They'd usually go over to Miami and make a presentation for um, to, to demonstrate what it was we were going to be doing in the ensuing year. And of course, Miami would always say that's not <laughs> yeah, enough, and they come should. back and they, say, yeah. <laughs> you know, but but you can see it was a very planful approach. Um, now I would work I would work with the global group to figure out what new products are coming down the pipe, and then if I felt it was appropriate for my market, I would incorporate it into my new business plan, and I'd I'd uh, try and negotiate for resources. But as far as uh, getting my uh, target sales number, my target profit number approved, and my re- expense budget approved, that all went through the Miami group. Did you ever have the opportunity to travel to specific countries in the region? I I've, I spent time in Mexico. Mexico is the only um, place that, that I actually spent any time at all. Uh, and it, And part of that is you remember I talk, talked about how I was in the, um, uh, the global marketing group in the 80s for renal. Uh, part of what had happened was when we set that up, we actually set up a, um, a I'll call them a global sales support group. So uh, and then each in, within that group, several people were responsible for. Uh, handling different countries. So there were probably two people who were responsible for facilitating sales in Latin America. So my responsibility would be to take uh, these global plans for the products and then make sure that the uh, each individual geographic sales manager knew enough, and then they would be the ones that traveled down and then worked with the individual countries. Um, now, it, we evolved a little bit later so that there was more direct input, but I actually only ever got into Latin, uh, into uh, Mexico. How do you like the country? What do you remember about it? Uh, you know, I, 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 I just rem- I don't remember the country so much because it was one of those things where I'm spending all day in the business office and and, and we. And then we might go out to dinner, um, but I do know our our people were so gracious and they were so worried about us. I mean, they I, I don't know if this was a particularly challenging time in Mexico or not, but they would not allow me to go walking outside um, uh, unattended. Um, they insisted that they pick me up at the, um, at the hotel and they take me there. And so I, I'm not stupid. I'll do whatever the locals tell me to do. <laughs> so the, my biggest memory was how well they took care of me, uh, when I was there. Yeah. 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 Me- Mexicans are very friendly in general. I mean, I, I've had great experiences in Mexico myself, but. All right. Um, moving along, Steve, um, being your experience with corruption or bribery in the region in light of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, did the company have a specific policy about it or how was the company's position on it? Yeah, every company I've been with has had strict rules on corruption and bribery. And uh, if anything uh, ever happened, 
I, the employee was immediately fired on the spot. There was never any question. So and quite honestly, I, I think everybody knew that. And, and I do not recall a single instance where any employee got in, involved in um, any sort of bribery or corruption kind of a, a problem. Uh, and, and then the, the other thing you worry about is that if you have a distributor network set up, are they doing something that you wouldn't want? And, and of course, that's harder to tell. Um, but I, I must admit, I don't even remember hearing about any of our distributors doing that kind of thing. I mean, when you look at, at Baxter in particular, they had such an ethos about doing the things the right way. Um, it, you, you, you really had to have a different person, you know, someone who didn't uh, um, kind of agree with, with that whole uh, ethical kind of a stand to get involved. And, and I just never saw people at Baxter that taking those kinds of this. Yeah. So Steve, so from these experiences, what could you say that um, is a best practice in Latin America? I mean, what did you learn to do or not to do? Um, in, in my mind, I, I, I know I'm repeating myself a, a lot. But the, the thing that I think is most important is, is um, you've got a global group and what, what they are going to be responsible for is understanding the product and how you can sell that product. What are the important things? What are the things that customers really uh, know and feel? Now, I, I will say this. In our, our philosophy, you know, was that um, a kidney in the U.S. is the same as a kidney in Colombia, you know, uh, it, you know, the, and, and uh, so I must admit we we didn't spend a ton of time doing market research on the Colombian physician, uh, you know, what are they need? We we pretty much relied on our our global understanding of how nephrologists treat uh, the kidney failure. So I would say if there's something we did wrong. We probably did not survey the Latin American uh, customer well enough uh, as we were preparing our global plan. So that's kind of like a, a lesson learned that I think we should have done a better job of. It, it, it didn't seem to hurt us too much because, as I said, um, the process, this therapeutic process we were selling uh, is – you know, it's all about diffusion and osmosis, and that—that's kind of the way our bodies work. So, so, but so, I, I would say this: the, the the key learning then is is to allow the the local country product managers to have enough decision making flexibility that they can adapt what the global group is selling to meet uh, individual country um, needs. And their their country. That's to me the absolute biggest, most important thing to do. And I, I don't I, I don't have the luxury of seeing what other companies have done in Latin America, but it has always been intuitively obvious to me and my organization that that's the best way to go. Makes sense. All right, Steve. Could you please share with us any major trends do you see happening in Latin America in the medtech industry? Have you have you identified any? Well, I'm not sure 
I see any major trends in Latin America, but I wonder whether one thing is going to have a very positive impact on Latin American access to high-tech medical products, and that's language. And what I mean by this is we all know that the Spanish-speaking population is uh, one of the fastest-growing groups in America. And the result is, is that Spanish is becoming more and more prevalent around us. You've got TV shows, you've got cable networks, you've got billboards, you know, all of these things with Spanish language are popping up. And I think that um, as a result, more and more people are interested in picking up Spanish as a second language here in, in the U.S., And just so you know, each of my children were required to take a language in high school. Every one of them picked Spanish. And and I think if you look at um, uh, white Anglo-Saxons, you know, if you just kind of ask them, I would say the vast majority of people tell their kids that if you're going to learn a language, Spanish is what you need to learn. So what what is that what does that have to do with um Latin America and medtech and so what i believe is that with spanish becoming more prevalent and the younger people learning it i think that medical device companies will find more and more young employees who want to get those products into Latin America they speak the language in all likelihood they'll want to experience the culture And so from my perspective, I think commercialization in Latin America is going to be an outgrowth of the fact that that um, the U.S. um, country is really becoming more um, Spanish uh, fluent in in that. That, That's what I think is going to happen. And more culturally aware of of the the region because it's it's, it's already in – in 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 the younger generations' heads, uh, speak Spanish and, and and the culture of the Spanish community because it's not only about learning the language. It's not only it's not, it's not about learning mañana cerveza. <laughs> it's also about learning the culture that is around the language and 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 to think. That's the beauty of learning a new language. Yeah, and yeah, and I I think that's what most high school classes are all about. It's not just teaching what to say. It's introducing the kids to the wider world of of what what the culture is like associated with for the people who who speak that language. I think you're right. Yeah. Yep. You are um, right track thinking that way. It's a it's a very interesting perspective. I I actually didn't think about it. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> well, Steve. Um, before we close the show here, do you have any final recommendations or best practices for the listeners? Any final thoughts? Um, well, I, th- I think uh, it's really only at the obvious. I think Latin America is becoming a prime area to focus on. And I, I personally believe that if a company neglects Latin America, that they are going to be really hurting their growth prospects. So, which... Um, I'm sure that's what this podcast is all about, is, is get, get, creating additional awareness for what kind of a market opportunity Latin America is for medical device companies. And I just fully agree with, with that whole proposition. Well, Steve, I have no words to thank you for your participation in the podcast. Uh, it's been a, a delightful interview, and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. 
Thank you. Yes, that'd be great. Thank you very much for having me. Bye-bye. Take care.